mental health can be a difficult topic to talk about. I'd like to change that. I'm Marcus Pibworth and welcome to the Ministry of Change podcast. Hello and welcome either back or to the Ministry of Change podcast, depending on whether you've been here already. Um, uh, just before I start, I'd really like to sort of thank all the people that have already shared their story and for all the people that have been listening, I, I've, I've had such good feedback from both people that have shared and people that have listened and I know that there, there are definitely people finding it useful and I I'm, I'm really sort of feel real grateful to be able to offer this this sort of space for people to share their story however that may come and um yeah I I last week I actually properly launched my Patreon page which is sort of an attempt to uh sort of make this a little bit more financially sustainable I was really worried about doing it I was scared that nobody would sort of respond or I could I don't know I think it's always nerve-wracking asking for money um and and I was really happy that already people have pledged to support uh, the project and um, I'll leave details at the end of my Patreon page and if you re- sort of like this space and want to sort of help me support me making it more sustainable then then have a look at that or even just share that and again and also thank you to the people that have um, rated and reviewed the podcast on iTunes uh, this will really help me reach more people get these stories out there and if you haven't done already I invite you to sort of head over to iTunes and do that if you feel that's something that you could help with but anyway let's move on to today's um podcast which is with uh esther and esther's going to be sharing her story about alcohol addiction recovery and how she found yoga and and how how that yoga sort of really helped her um stop looking externally for the answers and really go inside and and find more peace um, I think it's a story that's really familiar. It's really felt quite close to home for me. I think a lot of people um, find life very difficult and look externally for the answers, and that can all too easily come in the form of, sort of alcohol, drugs, other substances, as they're a way of escaping, they're a way of providing a little bit of respite from this the difficult toil of, that life can sometimes feel like. But ultimately, those external things they don't work they they just damage they lead to more hurt and eventually i think there's a requirement to sort of move away from those external things however hard that may be and to go inside and that's when it starts to get really hard that's the hard bit but that's the bit that if you can really push through that i really believe you can sort of transform yourself um but it's not an easy journey and so i think people that are willing to sort of share their stories of that journey sort of really help open up that that area and for other people to be able to see the potential when they maybe are still in that that really sort of like difficult place and using these external things as a as a coping mechanism which is fair enough I think so anyway I'm really really grateful for Esther for um sharing the story and um I hope you enjoy it and I'll share details of how you can sort of find out more about Esther's yoga practice at the end. Um, so here it is. Here's Esther. So for most of my life, when I was growing up and into my adulthood, I had a very real sense of not really belonging, not really fitting, 
not really knowing who I was or who I was supposed to be. And this is a feeling that I had since childhood, that I didn't really feel like I belonged where I live. I didn't really feel like I knew anything about what was expected of me or who I actually was at my core. And I know that most children don't know, you know, like learning how you, who you are and how you are, but I just felt really lost from a very young age. I was very lacking in confidence and self-esteem and um, sort of sought that in other people. You know, if people liked me, then I must be okay. And when people didn't like me, I took that as a, as a real, not just that they didn't like me, but there was something wrong with me. If one particular person didn't like me, then there had to be something wrong with me as a person. So my, my self-esteem, my, my sense of who I was, was very much tied up in other people. Um, I, I, was, I, I, was raised, I was raised in going to church and having faith in God. And then when I was about 12, I lost that quite spectacularly and very suddenly. And I replaced it with obsession with pop stars and then later rock stars. In particular, Beatles and George Harrison. <laughs> And um, as, I, as I grew up, I found more and more sort of um, safety and emotional support in music. And, and that became a way that, that one of the ways, the only ways that I had to soothe myself for a very long time was by turning the music up loud and singing at the top of my voice and dancing. When I was 18, uh, I developed an eating disorder. and. For about six months, I was binge eating and then scoffing down as many laxatives as I could get my hands on and made myself really quite unwell in the process. And this wasn't really dealt with very well. It was kind of just um, forced out of me rather than being dealt with. And I think this was the start of some really dangerous territory for me because I had a lot of issues that I was trying to deal with and I didn't know how to deal with them. And I tried to deal with them through music and I tried to deal with them through controlling and, you know, the self-destructive pattern of eating with the bulimia. And that wasn't, uh, wasn't accessible to me anymore. Um, and I very quickly discovered when I made some new friends who were into partying and taking drugs, I very quickly discovered that if you drink enough alcohol or take enough drugs, then you could forget about your problems for a little while. It was only for a little while. Most of the time I would end up remembering them and being too drunk to be able to do anything much about them, to make any sense of how I was feeling. But there was this discovery that I could find oblivion and I spent a lot of time then seeking oblivion I didn't like who I was I didn't like how I felt so alcohol in particular provided the perfect solution it became a real comfort blanket to me for a very long time so that from about the age of 20 at the age of 20 my life fell apart quite catastrophically and I immersed myself really deeply in alcohol I started drinking on my own, um, but mostly drinking to excess with friends. But started drinking on my own quite a bit. Um, 
That pattern of behavior carried on for the next 20 years with me drinking increasing amounts of alcohol on my own. My tolerance would go up um, and I would find that I would be drinking six to eight cans of cider a night. A bottle of wine would go quite easily, sometimes a bottle and a half of wine. Um, I just drank a lot, an awful lot, uh, far, far more than is even remotely healthy. And it was, this was my only coping strategy. Alcohol, cigarettes and, and marijuana in particular were my only coping strategies that I had in life. I made sure that all my friends were drinkers. You know, if somebody didn't like getting drunk, I couldn't be friends with them. I couldn't understand them. I couldn't connect with them. And they probably wouldn't have liked me anyway. So I became very comfortable in this space where binge drinking, excessive drinking, taking drugs, smoking were all completely normal. So I didn't even really see that there was a problem. I knew that I was, not everybody would get into such a mess as I did, that people would remember things that I wouldn't remember and that um, people didn't seem to be drinking on their own the way I was doing. Uh, and I, I know I didn't tell my friends that I was doing that, so maybe they were, maybe they do still, I don't know. But I kind of knew that I was doing harm to myself, but I didn't really know that there was any other solution. Drinking was just normal, it was part of my everyday living, and I was never one of these people that could just have a glass of wine. I couldn't see the point of drinking alcohol if you weren't going to get yourself very, very drunk. May as well have a cup of tea. So I did this. This was my way of living for 20 years. Um, when my, my brother died in 2005, so when I was 32, and I remember in the, the, the week leading up to his death, I remember he was in a coma, and I remember thinking to myself, I mustn't start drinking in the day. And I had this knowledge that if I started drinking in the day, I would probably never emerge. And it's really weird to look back at that now because I had this awareness that I had a drinking problem, but I never really articulated that. I just knew that I couldn't risk going down a path that I could see myself very easily going down. I didn't even realize I was already on that path. It's just that... I managed to stop myself kind of getting in a taxi to rush to the finish line of that path, I suppose. Um, so that was, I mean, that was 12, 13 years ago, a long time now. And it, it still surprises me now that I was never able to make that link once I emerged from the shock um, that I, I didn't do something about my drinking. But I managed not to start drinking during the day when my brother was in a coma and then died. And I did drink an awful lot, but I managed to not go down that uh, dark alley. But I did carry on drinking. At the same time, well, a little while after my brother died, I started going walking. I started going for walks, long walks um, with my mother and started to really enjoy going out walking. And... This became a new passion for me, and, and more importantly, it became a new coping strategy. If I'd had a bad day at work, or I was just unhappy in general because I was struggling with grieving for my brother, I was, you know, I had a lot of other mental health problems, and I was struggling to cope with the fact that my brother had died. 
So instead of automatically going to the pub or buying a bottle of wine on the way home, I would put my walking boots on and go for a walk. And, you know, it might only be for an hour. It might be all day if I had it at the weekend. And that became part of my toolbox. I was still drinking a lot. But there were times when if I wanted to go on a guided walk, for example, that started at 10 o'clock in the morning and I had to drive for an hour to get there on a Saturday, I would stay sober on the Friday night so that I could go and enjoy the walk. But then I would reward myself with drinks when I got home. So although walking helped me to lower my alcohol levels, it was also still tied up with it. It was the reward for the long day of walk, even though I thoroughly enjoyed the walking. The alcohol was still very much this idea of having a reward. And this whole time I was still stressed. I was still, I mean, I was was going through, obviously, bereavement and the trauma of my brother dying at 30. And I was still struggling to process all that. I kind of had a, I mean, my, my whole life has been lurching from one disaster to the next, one thing to stress me out. And then once I kind of got over that, move on to the next stressful thing. So there's always been this catastrophic, catastrophic, chaotic feeling to my life. And looking back now, I can see how much the drinking was contributing to that. You know, I was... I mean, alcohol, I've learned now, actually raises your cortisol level. It raises your stress level. So if you've got issues with stress and anxiety, which I had, that's going to make that worse. Um, It's a depressant. So if you have depression, alcohol is going to make that worse. And I thought that all the alcohol was helping with all these problems, but it was actually exacerbating them. Uh, I, I suffered terribly from insomnia. Since I was a little girl, I struggled to sleep. And I used to use alcohol to help me sleep. But of course, that's not sleep. That's, I would drink until there was no wine left, and then I'd pass out, or I'd drink until I passed out. Um, and then I'd wake up utterly exhausted the next morning because I hadn't slept properly. And then I would be keeping myself going through the workday with coffee. So then in the evening, I would be too caffeinated to be able to sleep. So there was this cycle that I was on where one, my coffee addiction was actually fueling my alcohol addiction. And both of those things were elevating my stress levels to such a high level that I, I, I actually couldn't cope with anything at all. I was permanently wired, permanently stressed. Even when I felt like I was quite calm, I was still... You know, even on a walk, I would go out for a a 10-mile walk, come back feeling great, but still needing the alcohol at the end of the day. So I lived this way for 20 years. Um, The only time I was able to actually say, right, I'm not drinking at all, was when I was 37. I found myself very unexpectedly pregnant. And because I knew I had caused my body so much damage over the years, you know, Drugs, bad eating, alcohol, cigarettes, all that. I knew that my my body was in a terrible state. So I decided I wanted to give this baby the best chance, figuring that there might already be a chance that that the baby was going to be damaged because of my poor self-care. So I gave up drinking, I gave up smoking immediately. But I couldn't wait to get back to them. Even when I'd gone a year of not drinking and not smoking, it was always just a a pause. It was never going to be a an end 
Um, and I've often thought about that first time I had a drink after having my son. It was like returning to the arms of your long lost love. It felt like I was going back to my best friend and I was going back home. It felt really, I, I needed it. I really needed it. I, I was very unhappy in the relationship I was in as well at the time um, with my son's father. And I just needed that so much. But three years after my son was born, I had what actually turned out to be the hardest year of my life, harder than the year in which my brother died. And my brother died at the end of the year, but that year had been a really good year up until the point where my brother got ill. 2013 was the worst year I've ever experienced. Um, it was just one thing after another. I, and I think of it as like life kind of decided I was going to have to change because I went, I, I had problems at work. My, my mother got ill. I had problems with my ex. I had all kinds of stuff going on that was just pounding down at me. And I, you know, I was already, I was already struggling to cope with life anyway. And then all of these things just kept hitting me over the head, really making my stress levels higher and higher. And I'm just really reducing my ability to cope with life. And in the August of that year, I reached basically breakdown points. Um, I, I, I was almost literally on my knees. I couldn't cope any longer. And I decided I was going to give up my job, which I did in floods of tears. Seven weeks into a new job, I had to phone the HR department in floods of tears and tell them that I couldn't go in. Um, I don't know if they actually understood the words I was saying, but I think they understood the intention. Um, and I, I just sort of fell into this breakdown, which I think had actually been a long time coming. I think that I needed this breakdown to happen. Um, and it felt almost relief. I felt almost a sense of relief that right now I can just fall apart. I didn't feel like I had to hold everything together anymore. I could just allow myself to fall apart, go crazy for a bit, which I did. Um, I'd made a lot of really strange decisions during that time. But then towards the end of that year, I, I was thinking about how much yoga helped me. And um, I'd been doing yoga. I'd been going to yoga classes by this point for about six years, five or six years, I think. Um, no, maybe a bit less than that, but I'm not sure exactly. Um, and I'd always, I loved it. I loved the way it made my body feel. I didn't like the breathing exercises, but I loved the way it made me feel. But after yoga class, I would still go home and drink a bottle of wine. So there was something missing from my yoga practice, but I knew that it was part of, it was an important part of my life. And I decided, I thought for a long time that I wanted to teach it at some point. And so as the, the, the kind of the fog of the breakdown lifted and I started to think, right, I need to actually start thinking about what I'm going to do with my life now. I decided that this would be the perfect opportunity to try and find a teacher training course that I could do. I tried before, but there'd always been some obstacle in the way uh, that had stopped me from doing yoga teacher training. But as I decided that, a teacher training course, a, a very a brand new teacher training course, was starting to be promoted on Facebook. 
So I contacted this teacher who I'd never met before and I registered to join her class in the following April. And as soon as I made the decision that I was going to do that, it felt like I already started to relax into it. And I started, I decided on New Year's Day of 2014, I decided I was going to stop drinking on my own. Because I knew, you know, no matter how much denial I was in about the extent of my addiction, I knew that drinking on my own was really not good for me. I had a little boy sleeping upstairs and I was getting drunk on the set downstairs. So I made that, that decision that I was going to stop drinking on my own. And it was a lot easier than I ever anticipated. I'd never been able to control my drinking at all in the past. I'm quite a rebellious type, even when it's something I want to do. So if I say, you're not going to drink in the week anymore, I'll drink every day that week. You know, that's the way I've, that's the way I've always operated. So knowing that I was going to be a yoga teacher helped me to just calm a little bit. And I was able to reduce how much I was drinking. And then when I started doing the yoga teacher training, I, it, well, it basically transformed my entire world. I learned how to breathe properly, um, which was just so life-changing. It's, it's not the only thing that has helped me to get to recovery, but it was, I think, the biggest factor in my recovery was learning to breathe properly because it helped me to relax it helped me to calm the stress, calm my nervous system down. And it helped me to just like create a bit of space in my head, to create space in my body, and to just be a bit more present. Um, and all of the things that the yoga teacher training gave me, gave, taught me, gave me the resilience that I'd never had before, the, 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 the stress management strategies that I'd always sought in alcohol and drugs. It gave me... The ability to be with myself, to be able to look at myself with a bit of compassion instead of criticism, uh, to be able to accept the fact that I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, that I've made a lot of decisions that I wish I hadn't made, and to look at those mistakes with compassion instead of with anger and rage and blame and shame. It helped me in particular, to shed a lot of the shame that I felt about the way that my life had gone. Um, shame is a, such a toxic emotion that it's really destructive. And I, Brene Brown talks about shame and how it, how it correlates to addiction, how it correlates to depression and stress and suicide and violence. Um, so to be able to actually work through some of that shame that I felt for mistakes that I'd made in the past was really empowering and really helped with my healing. And halfway through that training, I was able to stop drinking and stop smoking. Um, so that, and I carried on. Obviously, there was still a lot of healing to do. I've done a lot of, of work on myself um, through the yoga. And I'm still a work in progress for four years later, still very much working on myself. But it's... It's just amazing when you think about how something as simple as learning to breathe gave me that peace that I'd been seeking in, in drink, really. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd always sort of wanted that comfort blanket of alcohol. But the comfort blanket became, as they tend to, became something that was suffocating me and killing me, 
with you know no doubt about it it was killing me and I look back now at the person that I used to be you know if I've been sober now for three and a half years I look back at the person I used to be and whereas I used to look at myself when I was there I used to look at myself with such anger and such hatred I couldn't bear looking at myself in the mirror you know there is no way we're talking on video now there is no way I would have been able to do that a few years ago I would have hated every time I catch a glimpse of my face now I don't mind now you know I quite like my face now I think it's quite a nice face and to be able to actually look back at that person that I was now and know how much I hated myself, how unhappy I was, I can feel such compassion now for that person, which if I'd been able to do that back then, I wouldn't have been in the state that I was. I think that self-compassion is something that we struggle with so much when, we're, when, in, you know, when we've got mental health problems. It's so hard to find that compassion for yourself because, because of the stigma from out there and also because we're so caught up in what's going on in, in our minds that we can't actually look outside of ourselves and look at ourselves from a different angle. It's, it's so empowering to be able to just step back and, and look at the things that are good about yourself and, and look at the progress that you've made in life and look at how... You know, actually, just because you made a mistake that day doesn't mean that you're a bad person. Um, or just because you you feel like this today doesn't mean that your life is, is terrible. And, and it's just been such a powerful journey that the whole 20, no, not just the last couple of years of recovery, but the whole journey, the whole 25 years now. I've been talking about 20 years for such a long time. I sort of not noticed that five years have passed. But, you know, 25 years of addiction and then recovery has been such an amazing, painful, but a, 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 an incredible journey into self-discovery. And in some ways, and it, it sounds weird, but I mean, one of the things that yoga has taught me has been gratitude and the power of gratitude. And there's a very big feeling that I have now of, of actually being grateful for what I went through because... I've, if I'd lived a nice, easy, comfortable life, I would never have done all the soul searching, or I might not have done the soul searching that I've done, because it tends to be, we learn about things, we learn lessons through pain, through difficulties, you know, when things are going well, we don't really stop and evaluate that, but when things are going badly, that's when we tend to look at life, and look at ourselves, and look at the way things are going, and why, and I think I've learned so much because of the difficulties that I've had. I mean, there's still, you know, I wish my 20s hadn't been so horrible. <laughs> but at the same time, I, I've, I've learned such a lot. I think that there's, there's an awful lot of power in looking back at that pain with gratitude. Because, um, you know, it happened. There's no point regretting it. It happened. And, and my life has, has taken its trajectory that it has. And, and now I think, you know, I can, I can use my experiences to hopefully help other people, to at least help people to understand that, you know, if you are that single mother sitting on the settee with a bottle of wine in your hand and your kids upstairs and you feel like you are the worst person in the world because you're doing that, but you don't know what else to do, at least I can say to them, you're not the only one. 
and there is help out there and you can learn to love yourself and it doesn't mean that you're a terrible mother and it you know because because we do you 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 beat yourself up so much when you're doing that and that just makes it worse because you pile that shame onto yourself and when you're in shame you've got nowhere else to go other than further into shame so when i when i um started my training we were given three rules of yoga which have helped me such a lot as, along my journey they are don't judge don't compare and don't beat yourself up and i think they are such powerful things to remember when you're thinking about life in general but especially i think when we when we're in this you know this mental health space because it's so easy to look at people and think oh my life isn't as bad isn't as good as theirs my life isn't as bad as this you know we can compare both ways we can comparison doesn't help you in any way shape or form because you either come away thinking that you're better or better off than somebody or worse or worse off than somebody and, and it's not helpful um but the beating yourself up one in particular is really good because i mean in addiction addiction is you make so many mistakes um when when you're in an addiction you know i i i've let my children down i've let my family down i've let myself down i've let colleagues down i've i've made all these terrible mistakes if i spent my life beating up by beating myself up for things that i did when i was in the grip of an addiction i'm never going to be able to move forward so if you can stop beating yourself up and actually look at well how can i make sure i never do that again then you've got power in that there's power in that mistake then instead of shame and I think that the, the first of those rules, the, the, the don't judge, I think that all of society, we need that. And particularly in, in, in the mental health space, you know, we've got this horrendous stigma around mental ill health and addiction. And it just doesn't help anybody at all. Um, and I think that we need to, we could start by kind of showing that lack of self-judgment and that, you know, you, we, if we start being kinder to ourselves, then it might ripple out to the rest of society then. Thank you so much to Esther for sharing her story. I know it's one thing to actually sort of do the internal work and go through this sort of process of getting to know yourself, but it's an entirely other thing, I think, to share your story publicly. It's very, um, it can be sort of a very emotional process, I know. And um, so I'm really, really thankful to everyone that shared everyone that will be sharing and also i think it's uh, really important that your your listeners are here um and there must be something that drew you to listen so very very thankful for that i'd urge you to go over to esther's website which is breatheandbalance.co.uk and on there you can find out more about esther's yoga practice um uh and how that could help you and also there's links to her blog which has much more stuff about her story which i think you'll find really interesting as well so go and head over there um if you'd like to find out more about my project exploring mental health around uk then check out my website which is uh www.theministryofchange.org and you can email me at marcus at the ministry of um always happy to chat to people come and visit your projects uh i'm in my van if you have somewhere that you think i could visit 
and you would like to offer me a place to park up, then that is great. And also I mentioned at the beginning my Patreon page. So a way of making it a little bit more financially sustainable. So uh, head over to there and have a look. That's patreon.com forward slash ministry of change. And by pledging, you get access to lots of sort of, sort of behind the scenes stuff, extra podcasts, extra audio, extra video, um, lots of musings and ramblings from me. Um, yeah, I'll put all the links down below so you don't need to sort of scroll back and forth trying to write them down. And uh, also, as I mentioned at the beginning, please do, if you found this useful, go on to iTunes and like and rate the podcast so it can reach more people. And thank you very much. I'm about to head off to the Isle of Wight. Um, so I am going to say goodbye and hopefully see you again another time soon. Bye.